I think many of the, the men who aren't from time to time when Donnie is absent, when they fill in, who would probably agree with what I'm about to say. Uh, sometimes it can be extremely difficult to narrow down what you want to speak about uh, when you only have one chance every so often. Uh, I'm sure Donnie struggles with it from time to time, but Donnie also has lists of goals and, and, and things he wants to cover in a given time. And so he already has that laid out. But for those of us that fill in every now and then, you kind of, you got to look around. You got to dig for something that um, maybe is on your mind. You might have to pick between a couple different topics about uh, things that have uh, been on your mind. You might also consult uh, the works that have been put out by other men, uh, other preachers. Uh, and, and that's just what I did. And I tell you that because I came across something that was very thought provoking to me, something that uh, it's a topic that we know well. Um, I think we probably know uh, very detailed amounts of information about this topic, um, but it's something that we don't think about a lot. It's something that is not a set alone topic. We normally talk about it amongst other things. Um, and so tonight I want us to talk about hell. And more specifically, I want us to talk about those who will be the prisoners of hell. We often, we discuss hell and we, we consider what it will be like for those who are there. We consider um, its nature. We consider what kind of torment is there. And that's often where we stop. And we don't really take the time, uh, at least dedicate the time, to solely discuss who will end up in hell. And obviously, because of the nature of this topic, we're going to deal with this as gently as possible, but also as boldly as the Bible demands. Uh, the Scripture does not mince words when it comes to hell. Uh, the Scripture is very plain. Jesus himself was very plain about the nature of hell and those who would reside there at the end of time. First, let's consider a few things that we know about hell. Had you turn to Matthew chapter 25, uh, we'll read a few verses here. Matthew 25 and in verse 41. This is Jesus talking and Jesus is presenting a scene, a future scene. This is not a parable as some might would suggest. This is um, something that Jesus is saying will happen in the future. Beginning in Matthew 25 verse 41, he says, Then he will say to those on his left, this being God speaking, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not take care of you? Then you will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's a couple of things here that um, Jesus makes quite plain about hell. First of all, hell is a prepared place. We often, uh, at least... Um, the world considers hell to be the devil's domain. That's where Satan is in charge. And that's not the biblical picture of hell that we get. Hell is actually a prepared place by God. Uh, God created hell. 
and it's, it's a real place. It's a place that uh, will physically exist. Not only that, but hell is reserved for certain people. God made it specifically for certain people. Uh, Jesus says as much in verse 46, These will go away into eternal punishment. This was the plan. That was the intention for hell. I want us to consider quickly Mark chapter 9. Again, these are basic things that we already know. Um, just kind of getting the ground underneath us. In Mark chapter 9, we read about the torment that will be present in hell. Mark chapter 9, verse uh, 43 uh, through 48, really. We're not going to read all of this uh, because much of it repeats itself, or at least the part we want to consider. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 43 says, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And that same sentence is repeated twice more in this text. It's a place of infinite torment, beyond anything that we can comprehend. Uh, but the closest thing that we can understand is a fire that never dies. It's a fire that never dies. And the last thing I want us to consider before we to start looking at who will reside in hell at the end of time is in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we... We often reference this verse in talking about heaven and talking about how uh, one goes to heaven. But I want us to consider quickly the implication that this passage makes about hell. Matthew chapter 7, in verse 13, Christ says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. We see that hell, unfortunately, will be a very full place. It's a sobering thought, uh, but Jesus says there are many who enter through that wide gate to destruction, and few find the narrow gate, find the gate to heaven. So with these things in mind, I want us to consider the type of people that will be in hell. Of course, we're not talking about any specific person. Um, God is the, is the final judge. God is the one who uh, set these rules into motion. And it is God who will make that judgment. But God did give us clear indication, clear instruction over the kinds of people, the kinds of things that we can do or not do, that can cause hell to be our punishment. And so I want this to serve as a warning. Uh, from a young age, children are, are taught um, what not to do, to, to not get in trouble, to not go, uh, go to jail when they're older. Don't do this, don't speed, don't, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, whatever you want. Um, and sometimes we, we don't do the same thing with hell. If we fear um, doing something wrong to go to punishment on this earth, uh, we should fear doing something wrong to go to the eternal punishment. And, and so to do that, to, to truly fear that, to truly understand and comprehend that punishment, we need to consider what it would take for me to go there. Right? 
Um, it's, it's good, it's, it's great actually to consider what it takes to go to heaven, but we need to consider what it takes in order to be sent to hell at the end of time. So we'll discuss who will be in hell, who will be the prisoners of hell. Uh, first and foremost, we have Satan, right? So we've already read that in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 41. Uh, Christ said that hell is reserved for Satan and his angels. Uh, in Revelation 20 and in verse 10, we see a, uh, the scene of the final judgment. Revelation 20 and verse 10, it says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented night forever and ever. So we see Satan. Uh, hell will ultimately be where Satan is kept uh, for eternal punishment. But it's not just Satan in hell. Um, in 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, Kevin referenced this this morning, uh, even angels, even disobedient angels will find themselves in hell. Second Peter 2 verse 4, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment. That's, that's kind of the obvious ones. Those um, beings that are not of this earth, so Satan and, and angels, of course, those um, beings, those disobedient angels and Satan will find themselves in hell. From here on out, though, we're going to go from uh, the most obvious people or kinds of people that will end up in hell to the least obvious. And there will be something for us to consider at the end. Let's next consider that those who willingly disobey, those who willingly disobey the instruction of the Lord, uh, will find themselves in that punishment at the end of time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and again, I understand this overlaps a little bit with um, what Brother Kevin was talking about this morning. No apologies for that. Uh, sometimes twice is better than once. Uh, but those who willingly disobey will have that punishment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7, Paul says, To give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. If you would also consider with me 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, a passage we could probably quote well. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul here, actually speaking of the Corinthians themselves, uh, says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, or, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Again, that's, we're covering basic stuff here. That's what we already know. Those who are disobedient to the will of the Lord, those who do not follow His instruction, um, those are the people that God has, has promised destruction is coming. But then let's also consider that those who do not know God, and we'll mean this in two senses here, those who do not know God 
might end up in hell. Let's consider Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 6, it says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So atheists, those who willingly and openly reject God as existing, uh, those kind of people are the ones that the Scriptures have told us will end up in hell. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. We'll, uh, we'll tread lightly with this point here, um, just to not be misunderstood. Uh, but Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, uh, Paul says, and he's speaking of the Gentiles here, people who would not have historically uh, known God, at least in the sense that the Israelites did, says in verse 20 of chapter 1, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. So it's not only atheists that we have read um, that will be prisoners of hell, but it's those who, either through their own ignorance uh, or just from never having been taught, uh, might find themselves in hell. And the reason for that, that sounds cold and harsh, that the ones who were never taught, the ones who have never been instructed, are just as guilty. But the reason for that, Paul lays out so clearly here, no man is without excuse. Right? Even someone who has <clears throat> grown up in an area where there are no Christians, where there is no one... Uh, that can open up a Bible and speak to them. Even that person has what they need around them in creation to seek out the truth. I told you we would go from most obvious to least obvious. Let's next consider that at the end of time, there will be some good moral people that end up in hell. There will be some good moral people that might end up there. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, you uh, might be familiar with the story of Cornelius. Uh, we'll trace a few of the verses here, but uh, we'll see that Cornelius was a good man by all accounts, right? Uh, if we just set aside religion for just a moment, Cornelius was a good man. In fact, Cornelius would probably be a man that we would like to be friends with. But we'll see that that wasn't enough. That good morality was not enough. Uh, look in verses 1 and 2 with me of chapter 10 of Acts. It says, Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Cornelius, again, like I said, is a good man. Um, even he might not have had a full understanding of God, but he at least respected God in some sense that he, he helped the Jews as much as he could. Let's look in verse 22. 
Um, we see that there, it says, they said, Cornelius and Centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you, that being Peter, to come to his house and hear a message from you. Uh, so we see Cornelius is a good man. He, he was instructed um, by an angel to send for Peter so that he might be taught. In verses 47 and 48 of chapter 10, after Peter has come and has spoken to them, uh, Peter says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he asked them a few days. So Cornelius, a good man by all accounts, uh, was told to send for Peter. Peter comes, delivers a message from the Word to him. And then Peter comes to a conclusion that these men and his household should be baptized. Let's consider what Peter has to say about that in the next chapter. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 12, it says, The Spirit told me to go to them without misgivings. Uh, these six brethren also went with me, and we entered into the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. See, we often hear uh, from those who uh, claim to be religious that there is no way that a loving God could ever punish someone who deep in their heart was a good person. And there's no way that um, the loving God that we see in the New Testament could ever send someone to hell. Because that's what we're talking about here if they're a good person. There's, there's just no way God would do that. Well, Peter here says that he had to speak the words to them um, by which they would be saved. If being a good moral person was all that it took, Cornelius didn't need saving. He was already a good person. He was already um, someone who feared God. Let's also take a further conclusion from that. If it's true then, if what those people say is true, that God will not punish good moral people, then there's no need for Christ. Right? If all it takes is for me to be a good moral person, and that's what would save me, then why did Christ come? Why did Christ die? There would be no need for it. Um, all we would have to do is just try to be nicer, you know, try to uh, not do bad things and do better things. Right? So, Obviously, that argument is invalid. But even Cornelius, a good um, and by all accounts righteous moral man, uh, even he needed to be saved. So by the very consequence of that, if Cornelius had not listened to Peter, if Cornelius had not obeyed, then even though he was a righteous man, at the end of time, he would not have made it to heaven if he had not obeyed the Lord. Let's go further then. It's not only Satan and some rebellious angels. It's not only those who willingly disobey. It's not only those who do not know God. It's not only some good, right, or good moral people. But let's consider that there's going to be some religious people, some very, very zealous religious people that at the end of time will be in hell. Let's consider Matthew chapter 7. We read earlier in Matthew just a, a while ago. Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21. 
we often um, talk about this section of Scripture when, when dealing with the question of, does it matter what I believe? Uh, and in some ways, we're dealing with the exact same question here. Uh, but in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Christ says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So we must consider that just being religious, um, just believing in God, believing that there is a God, that's not necessarily enough. See that even sincere religious people uh, may have uh, hell as their eternal punishment. In Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, we see the case that Paul makes for himself, and we um, need to consider some of the things that Paul had to say about himself. In uh, Acts 6, 26, and verse 6, excuse me, Paul says, And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. For this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Uh, why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? In verse 9, So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Very similarly to those who say that good moral people, that there's no way that God will punish good moral people, uh, there are probably even more that say there's no way that God will punish someone who truly believes in Him, who is truly trying to do what is right. Paul thought he was doing what was right. Paul thought uh, so much so that he said that he had lived in all good conscience before God to the very day that he was on trial. But even then we know that Paul was wrong. So wrong, in fact, that we see his, um, his emotion, um, his... Um, just his overwhelming um, sorrow when we see his case of conversion. We see just how this man who was so bold in persecuting the Christians had been brought down to nothing. Right? God cursed him with the blindness, and, and Paul didn't eat or drink for three days. This man who was so, um, so vehement uh, against the Christians had been brought low. Um, so we see that even religious people, even those who uh, truly believe what they're doing is right, if it's not of the truth, uh, if it's not uh, exactly what God would have them to do, uh, then unfortunately they, just like Paul, uh, were in a situation that if Christ were to return that very moment, uh, 
they would not find themselves in a favorable position. In John chapter 8, in verse 32, um, we see an answer to this question of, uh, of the religious people, of, of what religious people um, can avoid hell, what religious people can um, seek heaven as a home. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, Jesus says, You will know the truth, the truth will be free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. Um, so we see that only by the truth, only by knowing the truth, obeying the truth, uh, can we be free from sin. And after all, it is that sin uh, that at the end of time uh, will give us eternal punishment. It is our own sin. Uh, that will result in someone going to hell. So we've considered Satan, that he will be in hell. We've considered that those who willingly disobey God will be there. We've considered that there are those who do not know God, um, that if they do not come to that knowledge of Him, uh, they will wind up in hell as well. We've considered that there are good, moral people who may find themselves in hell. We've considered that there's religious people, truly devoted religious people that may find themselves in hell. And now I want us to consider probably the most uncomfortable thing that a Christian can consider. We must consider that at the end of time, it's very well possible that some true New Testament Christians will find themselves hearing those words, Depart from me, I never knew you. Consider, if you would, with me, the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. <clears throat> uh, as you're familiar with uh, the opening parts of Revelation, this is uh, the letters to the churches. Uh, one of those churches, Laodicea, we, um, we often classify these churches as good or good and bad or just bad. Well, Laodicea, as you know, is the only one that didn't re did not receive any praise. Um, it was all condemnation. In verse 15 of Revelation 3, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. See, the Laodiceans' problem was they were only halfway in the fight. Right? Uh, he says that they are neither hot nor cold. They're neither fervent for Christ nor completely shrunk back from Him. They're somewhere in the middle. Right? They believe the truth. They might do some of the things they know they're supposed to do, but that's about where it ends. Right? And Jesus says, because you are lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some translations will say vomit. It's, it's a vile um, separation. Right? It's a complete casting away. And we have to remind ourselves, this is a church. These are Christians. These are people who know the truth. These are people who likely believe the truth. These are people who may, on certain days, try to do their best. Um, but overall, Christ has to say that they 
are lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. And because of that, he would separate himself from them. In James chapter 2, this may seem like we're going a slightly different direction, but James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, we see um, James's discussion over uh, faith and works, right? And we know the conclusion that faith without works is dead. It, it's faith that has no works is, is a useless faith. It doesn't do anything. So we'll read some of this here, and uh, I know this is a, a bit of a lengthy reading, uh, but if you'll bear with it. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, it says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. When I read this section of Scripture here in James, I cannot help but think of those Laodiceans. Um, James multiple times in this section of Scripture, makes it very clear that if faith, if it is not an active faith, if it is not a working faith, if it is not a faith that is obedient to the will of God, it's useless. It's dead. And so what I'm about to say is a tough pill to swallow, but I think if we hear it and we listen to it openly and honestly... Um, that it can serve as probably one of the best warnings that we can receive. And this is a warning just summed up from the Scripture itself, everything that we've just read. And I don't take credit for this. Um, This might have come from that same uh, preacher's material that I was telling you about at the beginning. It says, if we don't attend, if we don't worship, if we don't give, if we don't teach, if we don't study, if we don't pray, If we don't be involved in the Lord's work in any way, how can we possibly believe that we will escape hell? I'll read that one more time. If we don't attend, if we don't worship, give, teach, study, pray, or be involved in the Lord's work, how can we possibly believe that we will escape hell? You know, let that sink in for a moment. We very often consider that, yeah, those who are disobedient to the will of the Lord 
of course. That's, that's who eternal punishment is, is reserved for. But it's not necessarily just those who openly rebel. But those who willingly neglect. Right? Um, we're, we're commanded to do uh, a number of things. Our, our worship, the very things that we gather here on uh, Sundays and Wednesdays to do. Uh, those are commandments of the Lord. And if we neglect those, we're neglecting a commandment of the Lord. Um, we know that sin is, is a violation of the law. right? So how can we possibly believe that if we neglect the things that we are commanded, how can we possibly believe that we will escape? And the problem is that sometimes we fool ourselves. Well, I, I go to worship services most of the time. I I try to read my Bible every now and then, and uh, I pray when I have time. Um, and when I worship, sometimes I'm paying attention to what I'm doing. We can't fool ourselves. The very fact that the Scripture has a warning for us in so many places, in so many different ways, in so many easy ways to understand, the fact that there are all those warnings about hell. That should be enough for us to realize that everything I do and everything I don't do, there's a consequence for. Everything that I do that is a command, I should do with all, with my all. Everything that I don't do because it's forbidden uh, by either direct command or principle, I should avoid it with everything I have. That's the warning for us tonight. That's, that's what I want us to consider. Um, that there's, there's a number of different kinds of people that will find themselves in hell at the end of time. And that includes, possibly, some of us. And we must be on our guard each and every day. We must help each other each and every day. Lean upon each other. Trust each other for that help, for that uh, support. And for those reminders, hey, you, I see that this is going on and, you know, we, we need to be aware of what can happen at the end of time. I want us to qu quickly consider uh, a, couple, a couple applications that we can make of, of this beyond uh, what I've just mentioned. Um, but this should be an encouragement, hopefully, for us to, uh, as the scriptures say, snatch those out of the fire. Uh, we've, we've seen a number of different kinds of people that might find themselves in that eternal punishment at the end of time. But that's our job to keep them from getting there, right? That's, that's each and every one of us. That's our responsibility to do everything that we can uh, to save them from the fire because what that means is, what this list of different people means is that you're going to have friends that might fit in this category. You're going to have neighbors that might fit in this category. You might have family members that might fit in this category. There might be, as uncomfortable as it is to consider, someone sitting in the pew with you that might find themselves in this category, and it's our job as Christians, as brothers and sisters, to make sure that those people don't stay in that category. That's our responsibility. That's our job. So tonight, I hope I haven't been um, too depressing. I hope I haven't been um, too...
to overbearing. Uh, this is, as I said at the beginning, something that I've, I, I came across, and it, uh, those of you who can get up here and do this will know, sometimes you just can't pass up a topic. Uh, it's something that sticks out to you. Just a couple final notes. We need to note that we can escape the punishment. We can be rewarded with heaven. We can escape the punishment of hell. Um, first of all, we should want to. As obvious as that is, we must first consider that we should want to. That should be our goal, is to be rewarded with heaven and to escape the punishment. But secondly, we must consider that just by simple obedience, just simply obeying the word of the Lord, we can escape that punishment. Now, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where Paul talked about all the kinds of people that would not inherit the kingdom of God. But in verse 11, talking to the Corinthians, Paul said, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. Uh, those Corinthians, they obeyed. They were, by all accounts, not good people. If you know anything about history, Corinth was a bad place to be. Right, Evan? Yeah. Uh, Corinth was not a good place for a moral person, a righteous person to be. But Paul said, such were some of you. You were washed. You were sanctified. Uh, they made it right. They obeyed. And that can be us. And that can be those friends, those family members, those co-workers that we might have uh, that might be on that path. That can be them too. They can be washed. So tonight, uh, if there's something in your life that is amiss, make it right tonight. Uh, we're not promised uh, another moment. We're not promised the, the time and opportunity to leave the building. There's something amiss in your life. Make it right tonight. If you've never obeyed God, tonight's the night to do it. Uh, there's no sense in, in waiting. If you wait till the time that you're ready, by the time you're ready, it'll probably be too late. So make that choice tonight. If there are any who have that need, if you would come while we stand and sing.